All right. Now, I want to give a biblical thought this morning for everyone, probably more in light of, of what's going on, I suppose. Um, there's one thing about the Lord, his ways are not our ways, amen? amen. Sometimes that's uh, a little, can be a little difficult, but I want to bring you a thought this morning. And I called it at the crossroads, okay? <laughs> and uh, I want to show you from the Bible some very clear biblical lessons on that particular note. So let me just pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here. I thank you, Lord, that you, we're yours. I thank you, Lord, we are part of, Lord, the body of Christ. And Father, that we are yours. You never leave us. We are sheep. Father, we, God, we have a good shepherd and he's in heaven. I thank you for your mercy and your love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in Jeremiah, and I want to read you, start here in Jeremiah verse 17, and I'll come to the, the idea of crossroads in a moment, but I want to show you, Jeremiah, for you who know Jeremiah, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. If there was anyone in the whole of the scriptures that suffered, according to the will of God was, as a prophet, was Jeremiah. He said, I will scatter them, in verse 17, as with an east wind before the enemy. I'll show them the back, not the face, in the day of their calamity. God obviously here is dealing here with a few things we won't go through. He says, verse 18, then, then, they, then said they come, let us devise devices against Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah had a message and that message was to, they were to leave Israel, they were to go into Babylon under the preaching of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah has now come under <laughs> quite a bit of scrutiny. For the law shall not perish from the priest nor counsel from the wise nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us smite him with the tongue. Let us not give heed to any of his words. Give heed to me, O Lord, and hearken to the, the voice of them that contend with me. Shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have digged a pit for my soul. Remember that I stood before thee to speak good for them and to turn away thy wrath from them. So that's the so if they were to obey his voice, God was going to look after them. Therefore deliver up their children to the famine, pour out their blood by the force of the sword, let their wives be bereaved and their children and be widows and let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when thou shalt bring a troop suddenly upon them for they have digged a pit to take me and hid snares for my feet. Yet, yet, Lord, thou knowest all their counsel against me to slay me. Forgive not their iniquity, neither blot out their sin from my sight, but let them be overthrown in the deal, in the times. And he said, he said over, he said this, Jeremiah said this, he said, be not a terror unto me. So now Jeremiah is saying this to the Lord. Thou art my hope. So Jeremiah is 
has evil around him. They're not listening to his message. Israel are to move from Babylon, from Israel, under the prophet of Jeremiah. They are to go under Nebuchadnezzar into captivity, which is the beginning of the time of the Gentiles. And Jeremiah was the prophet, and when he was the prophet, the false prophets arose and they said, and they said to all of them, no, stay, God is going to deliver you. But this was the word of the Lord. And by the way, the word of God coming from Jeremiah's mouth was to benefit the children of Israel and they were to go into Babylon. And then you have the story of the free Hebrew children, Daniel and so forth, as they enter into that time. But Jeremiah made a statement and I thought this was a really good statement because Right here, Israel are at crossroads. Do we stay or do we go? <laughs> Amen. That's a crossroad. You, life is full of crossroads. So, the, so Jeremiah said, Be not a terror unto me, thou art my hope in the day of evil. He's speaking to the Lord. Let them be confounded that persecute me. But let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil and destroy them with double destruction. What Jeremiah is saying, that all that's going on could affect him. And he's saying, God, help me not to be confounded. Help not me to be dismayed. Because when you and I come into crossroads in life, Sometimes we have trouble handling the situation. Is that fair enough? And God has to be our hope. He is, and he is our hope. I remember it wasn't that long ago, so in our sort of, <laughs> I said to Isabel, I think the church is a crossroads. And Jan was, um, Jan said to me, we go to First Peter two six. While I'm saying that, Jan said to me at home, she said, "She said this is my ever home." So she wanted me to put a handle in the toilet <laughs> and make the bathroom so you could walk in. You know, one of those sort of walk-in robes, that, that sort of thing. I thought, well, thought maybe that's a good idea. Really, I thought maybe just to make life easier. So with my project-minded way of thinking, I thought, well, I'm going to have to pull out the bath out of the shower and figure out how to do this because to re-plumb and do that in that bathroom, to be quite honest with you, would be absolutely almost impossible to do. But however, <laughs> here's Moya, I'll do it. So I went in and I was ready to smash that, that uh, I was ready to smash that bath, get it out of there. I thought Jason's coming down, he can help me pull it out. And I'm ready to do it. And the Lord said no. Thank you, Lord. I was kind of thankful he said no in a way because <laughs> what a project it was ahead, right? But he said no. And it's funny how the Lord works because when that happened, I didn't realise what crossroads we were at. And God's work is seasonal. I don't have any doubt about that. I know that when God shuts the door, he opens it. I know when it's shut, it's shut. And when he opens something, he opens it. And that's just the way of our Lord. Have a look in um, 
1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. I'll pick it up in verse 5, dealing with us. He, he says about the believer, Ye also are lively stones, are built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sac- sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Was he, was the chief cornerstone rejected by the Pharisees? Was he rejected by the one that had the Old Testament and they were waiting for their Messiah? So here he's saying that he's the chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient... The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. If you just come over to Acts chapter 9 with me for a moment, it would have been something back then of a crossroad with Israel. You had Jesus Christ who earthly ministry was for three and a half years. The light was so strong that I think it was uh, Capernaum, I can't think of the other place, would have repented of the witness that was before them, making even note that Sodom and Gomorrah would have got right with God when Jesus Christ was here in that three and a half years of his earthly ministry. Yet they rejected him and God allowed the first rejection so he would then be crucified by and taken by the Romans to be crucified, to become our saviour. Pilate thought he had power to release Jesus Christ and the Lord said, "They has no power at all unless it's given thee from above. And then you had, as you know, the death and the burial resurrection of Christ. And can I say that when, for those believers who believed in the Jesus Christ back then, He's saying to them, for us who believe he's precious, don't be confounded. It would, have been, it would have been quite a time to have believed on the resurrection of Christ back then because you realise that the religion of the day was quite against that. So if you come with me for a moment, so in Acts chapter 9, and we'll go down to verse, where did I put it, verse 22. We have Saul here now. Saul is a Pharisee of the Pharisees, okay? And he was, a, he, he was at a crossroad, if you remember, on the road to Damascus. <laughs> he had letters to destroy anyone found in that way. You believed in Jesus Christ then? He had authority to put you and I away, amen? So it would have been something to have believed in Christ. Most of us have not really suffered persecution for believing in Jesus Christ. So that's just a fact. But here, Saul, who was a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees had the Old Testament, amen? They were given the oracles of God. They were to keep the good things that God had given them to do. But however, they had 
corrupted things, which I'll come to. And there was one thing with the Pharisee that was the big problem. They were stuck, whoops, in the past. They were, say, stuck in the Old Testament, even though Isaiah had prophesied against them. So Paul, Saul was a Pharisee, right? He comes to a crossroad when he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Saul's life is about to change because as a Pharisee, of the Pharisee, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, brought up under that, straightest in the sect he was, was about now to come to a crossroad in his life where he could no longer be stuck to the past as a Pharisee but now is called by Jesus Christ and goes down into Arabia and he brings us what we call the Pauline epistles of the New Testament dealing with the Jew and the Gentile in one body. In verse 22 of Acts 9, the Bible said, but Saul, that's who became Paul, increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews. They couldn't figure it out. He became stronger, confounded the Jews who dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to what? Kill him. Of course, that didn't happen. So right here, you have, in your New Testament, you have a crossroad. Old Testament, it was a crossroad for Israel to go into Babylon. Here in the New Testament, there's a crossroad now where God has sent his son and we believe on him. Here we have the Pharisee now who was part of the crowd that was stuck in the past and I'll, I'll build upon that thought for you. But they were confounded. They couldn't figure it out. Sometimes in life, just go over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 6 again. Sometimes in life, we get confounded. Because Acts 2 was the day of Pentecost. They were all in one accord in one place. And at that particular day, now then, this, there was noise abroad. The multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They couldn't figure it out. Couldn't sort of understand what was going on, but they could see it, they saw it. And if you think about our Lord Jesus Christ for a moment, what was it like in the garden when God the Father presented the cup to him? And he said, Father, nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. That was a crossroad. By all account, Jesus could have gone back to heaven as the Son of God. But he didn't. He took the cup for us, amen, and died on the cross. And it was a crossroad. Sometimes in life, 
And I think even what I'm talking about right here, we weren't expecting the Lord to do different things and I believe he is doing a lot of different things at the moment. And I always know that when he is doing something, it's always going to be for our best. Jesus said, follow me. And as a believer, truthfully, that's all we're meant to do. But sometimes when you follow the Lord, is it fair enough to say that we can delight in his will? But sometimes delighting in God's will, is, we, we find at, the, at that moment, is not always we would think the best. Who's with me? <laughs> I love to do the will, Lord. <laughs> I love to follow your leading. Amen. But hang on. This is not what I thought. Jesus Christ showed what it meant to do the Father's will. And as believers, we are his. You belong to God, not me. You belong to him by the, re the redemption that we have in Christ. He will ever be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake us. He will lead us. Sometimes we just need to be reminded but if there were two verses that I think everyone, every believer should put in their lunchbox, I call it a lunchbox, meaning that every now and again you might need to get this verse out and meditate upon these verses. And Isaiah said, in Isaiah 55 verse 80 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. You can really understand Proverbs when he says, lean not unto thine own understanding, amen, when you come to a verse like that. I'm not going to lean unto mine own understanding. And that's, that's a, that thought there with me has always helped me to realise that God's ways and thoughts are not mine. And it's easier then to get leading from the Lord that way because then you've got to submit to what he's thinking and maybe what he's saying. Isaiah 45, 2, though, is probably my favourite verse in the Word of God. It says, I'll go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Because God's ways are not our ways, and sometimes we think we're on a crooked path, but he has a way of making the crooked places straight. Who's with me? By the way, he can do it. Just said it. He can fix it, amen. I, I, I like what Chambers said. When I got saved and I read in Isaiah, he says, I know you more, I know your name. From that moment on, I'm his. I don't care what God does with me. In that sense, I don't want to get hurt, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm a bit of a sook. But the point is, is that we are his. And the Christian life is just that. We belong to him. But I always like what Chambers said. He said, I think I mentioned this recently because it always sticks in my head. We're the arrow, right? And he holds the bow and he puts, he gets the arrow and, it, and that's us. And he, not us, puts us in the bow. By his hand, he pulls that thing back. And we're in it. 
But the only trouble is what he never tells us what he's aiming at, okay? <laughs> okay? And then he does this. Shook! Where am I going, Lord? <laughs> Who's with me? What on earth is this all about? Amen? Dear God, now you talk about faith. Now I'm flying through the... I'm flying through without any sort of reality or understanding. And he's saying, Simon, trust me. (laughs) I'm amazed how much the Lord has to go through so we can just do that one simple thing with the Lord. Have you noticed that? You've got to notice the pounding sometimes you get just so you can trust him. (laughs) We just think, oh, well, you know, Lord... Um, If I could have it this way and this way, I'll trust you. And he says, no, you won't. I'll give you everything you want, but you still won't trust me. But God wants us to trust him. And that is really, I think, the adventure of the Christian life. I think it's it's the light of our faith. It's the thing that the world doesn't understand. They can't understand how God can do things. They always think it's up to them. And, of course, Isaiah there, he says, I'll go before thee. And make the crooked places straight. Who will? God will. I'll break in pieces. Not me, but God will. And that, those are the verses I think we sometimes should put in our lunchbox to remember that he will lead us and he goes before us. We come over to uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. But there are some hindrances, I believe, that we can learn from Paul. There are hindrances that we have in the Christian faith just to follow him, trust him and so forth. If we come over to Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is, the, is truly the, the pattern because he said, I'm a pattern. He's the example that God left us to follow. You remember Martha and Mary a few weeks ago. We were talking about them. And Martha was very much concerned with the... She was very much concerned with the things of this life. And she couldn't seem to, can I say, pull herself away to choose that one thing that her sister did was to sit at the feet of Jesus. In other words, her commitment was somewhere else. Her commitment was so heavy that she rebuked the Lord and the Lord rebuked her and said, Martha, Martha, you're careful about many things, but Mary has chosen that good thing and it won't be taken away from her. Sometimes in the Christian life, we get stuck, we get, um, we get encumbered, we think too much about this life here, I suppose, where sometimes we need to choose the right thing. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, we have, Paul gives us an example here, and I'll pick this up, say, let's see, I'll go back a couple of verses. Um... Let's see, 13. Oh, okay. Let's go back to verse 9. Now, remember, now remember, Saul was a Pharisee, right? The Pharisees were stuck. They couldn't let 
Now listen to me, they could not let the past go. They didn't see Jesus Christ as that sacrifice, you could say. They wouldn't let their position go as being in the ministry. They were stuck in the past. How many religions do you know that always head back to the Old Testament? I could name you a few. How about the Seven-day Adventist? <laughs> I could name you quite a few that head back to the Old Testament. They're stuck in the past. That doesn't mean that you negate some of the things that are in the Old Testament, but I'll come to that. But Paul's our example. So here's Paul now. He was at crossroads and the road to Damascus. His position in life was a Pharisee. He was with those that were stuck in the past and now he confounded the Jews because he's now convincing to them that Jesus was the Son of God. So right here he says, I'll pick it up verse 9, and, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness. Amen. That's the Christian life, not our righteousness but his, which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. If you understood that if there was any one individual that walked this planet was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, straightest in the sect was Saul, and he could keep that law to the letter. Amen. He puts us to shame, guys. He kept that thing. I don't know how, but dear God, he, he was just that. And he says, but now I have to find my righteousness in God through Christ Jesus. And then he says, verse 10, that I may know him. and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You know, sometimes it's one thing for us to get hold of God or God get hold of us maybe, but it's another thing for us for us to get hold of God, him. In other words, Lord, whatever you want, that's it. Not as though I had already attained. So he's saying here that he sort of fell short here. Either we're already perfect. So he's saying, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. So he's, can I say this to you? He's moving forward by Christ. And only God can do this in the believer's life when you got saved. He does a work in you and I. Verse 13, brethren. I count not myself to have apprehended, but as Mike said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As a Pharisee, 
Saul said, here's Paul now, I will not be stuck in the past. Now, we all here have all different identities, don't we? You know, I think think Colin was telling me his identity was the bush, amen? amen? And you get saved and have you noticed that your identity is not the identity that you once had but is now Jesus Christ? I remember doing Tong Long, it was a hand fighting art. We did four years of it, now you're at discipleship level. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and to continue, you would have had to been married to the thing. But that wasn't my identity. Jesus Christ is my identity. Christ is our identity, being saved. He's our, he is the one we should identify with. We shouldn't be confounded. We should always sanctify the Lord God in our heart or being ready always to give an answer to them that ask of us of the hope that lies within us. Our identity is Christ and here's a man, here's a Pharisee who's stuck in the religion of the past. Now, by the grace of God, he is learning by Jesus Christ to move forward. So a crossroad takes the grace of God then to maybe move forward. Because when God shuts something, he opens something, so that's the lesson. We get we can get stuck in the past. I will say this though, the Pharisees, I'll read you Matthew 23, 23. Write this lesson down, keep this in your mind. The Pharisees, Jesus said to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for he paved tithe of mint and anise and cumin. So one part that they were doing was correct, pay tithes and cumin. There was nothing wrong with sticking to that part of the past, amen? But the Lord says to them, and admitted the weight of matters of the law, judgment, mercy and faith, these ought to have done, but not to leave the other undone. So when you came to the Pharisees, they were, they were not willing to move forward in faith and grace and those things, but they were heavy on the law. They were heavy on tithing. They were heavy on those things and they put a burden on the people without any faith there. Come over to John chapter 12, 21 with me. John chapter 12, 21. So the Pharisees were stuck in the past. Why are you saying this, Moy? Because, well, we've had nine, we've had eight years uh, in King Arroy and uh, things are coming to the close. But what I'm going to say to you, the Bible teaches us here something, as much as emotional things can be, you know what the Lord's saying? Don't get stuck in the past. Understand that the Lord moves forward and there's always a lesson in your Bible that he shows us from the scriptures that, we are to move forward and sometimes we get stuck in the past. Now, here's the exciting bit about moving forward is I always think then my faith then is stronger in Christ than to prove him, to, to see him, to show, to show me what he wants say next. 
But in John chapter 12, this is after Lazarus was risen again from the grave, and I think it is in verse, I go down to verse 21, John 12, 21. I'll pick it up in verse 20 to put it in context. Lazarus has been risen, Martha and Mary are serving. Verse 20, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. These are the Gentiles. The same came therefore to Philip, one of the disciples, which was, which was the Poseidon of Galilee, and decided him saying, sir, we would see Jesus. So the Gentiles are coming up to see this thing. They find Philip. Philip finds Andrew. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Seems as though Andrew always knew where to find Jesus. And I always thought that's a great thought. Always find those who can find him. Have you ever lost the Lord? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I've lost him. Where are you, Lord? Find those that can bring you back to the Word of God. Find those that can bring you back to the Scriptures. Find, find those that can, that can give you the, the spiritual understanding of these things. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come, that the Son of Man shall be glorified except the wheat fall in. Now, if you go back to, say, verse 19, notice here, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive he how he prevailed nothing. Behold, the world is gone after what? Him. You know, the Pharisees couldn't handle it. <laughs> they were so stuck in their religion, they just couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle the world going after Christ. They couldn't move forward, amen? And listen to me, when I got saved, and you should take this on board, your life is moving forward, no matter how old or young you are. God never takes us backward. By the way, can I just say this? Get away from these people that keep you stuck in the past. What happened to the seven churches in Asia? Are they still there? No. They were temporal. In fact, God shut one down. He said, I'll take my I'll take the candle out of here. I'll shut it. Don't live in this religious world that, you know, it's mainly through the reformists and Calvinists and whatever. They always got you stuck in the past. God doesn't want us stuck in the past. He doesn't want us stuck anywhere. He just wants us to live for him. Can I get an amen out of that? Amen. And whatever he brings in our life, then understand that God is doing something that we don't always understand. But I can guarantee you one thing. I know him. It's always for our best when he does something. I'm trying to encourage everyone at the moment, okay? You don't look very encouraged, okay? I'm not doing a very good job. <laughs> but I'm trying, to give you a, I'm trying to give you a biblical understanding that the Bible teaches it this way. And I think it's great. I think it's great when you see that the Bible shows us crossroads. The crossroads of Israel going into Babylon. Jesus Christ at the cross. What did the Lord say to the disciples? If ye be my disciple, what? Take up your cross and follow me. 
everything in the Bible is about crossroads if you think about it. The cross is the centre for everything. It's the cross for our salvation. Jesus said to that church, which he said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except you repent. So God is never in the temporal. He's always, he's always moving forward. So one of, the, one of the big problems we all have and emotionally we get stuck in the past. And the Lord, and so what Paul had to teach us to say, listen, I was stuck in the past. I was stuck with a crowd that was stuck in the past. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ saved me on the road to Damascus. By his grace, he worked in me effectually. Then I could understand, I could move myself from the law that he was brought up under. And then by faith, he could put his faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So there was a, so there's a, there's a lesson there for, for you. Now that could be, you could take that lesson in any part of your life, honestly. In any field of your life, wherever you're at, you can realise you can take that. Then, one, then the other obstacle that we have is this one. Is one door shut is God's opportunity to open another. I remember when John Canina and I used to do a lot of street work. We used to do it at my little bar. I often mention this because I think it was amazing. We had a door open to us up there and we'd have 40 to 50 people just around us listening to how to get to heaven. Nightclubs were thinking we're there to shut them. We never, we never preached against them. We just gave people the gospel. And that door was, was an effectual door that got open on, on the Sunshine Coast with Cloundra. And I remember when John and I, we used to do the work at Cloundra. They used to call us the God Squad. The, the murderers and those living in Happy Valley, the, the street people, they used to say, listen, we can get away from the police, but we can't get away from you guys. And then we're up there at, when we went up to Malulba. I always remember John, there was a guy walking along and he had a, he had a shirt on, it was a cross, Christ on it. it was the most satanic looking thing you'd ever seen. So John says, I'll give him a track. You've never seen it like it. That guy ripped that thing up so quickly, it was so instant. It was almost satanic, it was frightening. And John and I looked at each other and said, yeah, we're in the right place. Satan doesn't want us here. And then God opened up a door in Lulabar. But the point was I was saying is that we used to be on the streets five, five nights a week in those days. But the point was he shut the door. And there were others who tried to continue it. I said, no, God shut that door. It was for a season. And they tried to continue it on. I said, no, it won't work. Because when God's in it, little as much when God is in it, it works. Because without him we can't do anything. So then the other obstacle then of moving forward is that when God shuts a door, we ask him to show us why he shut the door, but more so not why. I don't think why is the question. Just ask the Lord, show me what is next. Because never God never shuts a door on you. He's always opening a door for you. Does that make sense? I don't ever think God just shuts a door. It looks like he's shutting it, but he's not really. He's just opening another door for us to go in heaven. Now, how do you know that, Simon? 
because he said, I am the door. And that door could be opened in heaven shortly. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> and where are we going to meet him? In the air. I am the door. Jesus Christ is the door. And I'll just be honest with you. Don't think I've got things figured out, because I don't. But sometimes it's just that little bit of confirmation he gives you by his voice. My wife this morning came out here and she said, I know this is the will of God. Because the Lord spoke to her. Isn't it, isn't it something when the Lord speaks to you? Everything is different. Until then, it's a mess. I'm really impatient. I can't stand it. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I actually asked the Lord, can you get me out of this turmoil I'm in? You know, it's like sitting in the back seat of a car. Are we there yet? <laughs> I'm that kind of person. I'm that kind of person that says, Lord, do this now. And he says, no. But I know he's moving us forward, amen. I know he's directing. I know he's guiding. Our trouble is we just want the answers. But sometimes all we need is just that little bit of confirmation. doesn't have to be a big splash. doesn't have to be... Some mighty sign from heaven, amen, <laughs> can be just some little thing. And as I said, this, these, this, these lessons here are lessons I think you could take in life. There's always some crossroad, isn't there? I know many of you here have been through crossroads. I know that. But there is a crossroad. And I thought really here with King Roy, I think we did actually come to that place where it seemed as though we're at a crossroad. And so, therefore, by faith, I pray that by his mercy and grace we can move forward under his guidance, which I'm sure he will. So let's just close with our last hymn, which I believe is in your hymn, hymn book there. It's 477.
Right. Yes, well, yeah. 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 Y